Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome along to episode 128 of We Are Going Up. I'm Mark Crossley and well, as we predicted, the last day of the season never fails to disappoint. Quite simply, what a weekend. And one man who is definitely still recovering from it all, or is that recovering from a stag do, uh, is David Cameron Walker. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Incredible weekend. Carl McQueen is here as well. Hello there. You're up in Manchester. Yeah, lovely well, I, time. I feel a little bit rough, but Dave, uh, do you want to take the floor here? Do you want to explain how your weekend was? Long, okay. uh, expensive, but I did manage to keep abreast of developments. I was, oh. follow- I was uh, furiously checking Twitter. Incredible. Whilst I was go-karting on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> in so you were Bright- using your Brighton. phone while driving? Oh, God, dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, injury time goals, changing the playoff picture and the relegation picture in the championship. That miracle escape for Wickham. And do you remember the Bristol Rovers fan Stephen Collins we had on last week? He was yeah, bringing, do. Taking all them scousers down to Bristol with him. Mm. Mm, that didn't go quite as a well. doesn't look too clever now. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, before we get into discussing everything that took place over the weekend, a quick welcome back to our old friends Cardiff City. I didn't take long, did it? Uh, Also, uh, Fulham and probably Norwich as well over the next few days. And by the way, uh, we don't do this whole relegated before the final day thing in the Football League, just as a note to them when they come down. Um, It'll be interesting to see Felix McGath, won't it, in the Championship next season, if it happens. Yeah, indeed, it will be. Um, I'm I'm pleased Fulham are down. <laughs> not because I do actually quite like Fulham, but uh, it's, a, it's, it's lovely, another game for you to go to. It's a lovely away day, yeah. Indeed, um, right. And we should also say, by the way, good luck to uh, Cambridge United and Gateshead, who are going to be playing each other in the conference playoff final a week on Sunday at Wembley. They are one game away too from joining us in the football league. Uh, so we're going to turn our, uh, our attentions to the playoffs later in the show. They get underway as early as Thursday night this week. Uh, we're going to look forward to all six semi-finals. The first of which is Brighton against Derby in the Championship, and we'll, re- we'll reflect on the incredible circumstances in which the Seagulls clinched that final playoff place to Gareth McCleary's goal, uh, Leonardo Ajoa, that misinformed pitch invasion, the Medeski, etc. Chaos. We'll also congratulate Chesterfield on winning the League 2 title and reflect on Mission Impossible achieved by Wickham Wanderers and Gareth Ainsworth. Uh, he said they needed a fairy tale and boy did they get one. They escaped relegation when that win at Torquay was coupled with Bristol Rovers 1-0 defeat to Mansfield Town at the Memorial Ground and Rovers, after 94 years, drop out of the Football League. But Wickham survived. Phil Catchpole is the Wickham Wanderers reporter for BBC Three Counties Radio and 50% of the There's No Turning Back podcast. So we'll speak to Phil uh, about a remarkable day out in Devon later. In League One, the end of the road after 13 years in the third tier for Tranmere. They lost 2-1 to Bradford at Prenton Park and also dropping out after eight years in League One at Carlisle United. The Cumbrians were beaten 3-0 by Champions Wolves at Molyneux, which finally sealed their fate. We'll get the lowdown on an awful season at Brunton Park later from John McGee, who edits the Carlisle United web fanzine bring me the head of Keith Mincher and rights for the two unfortunates. But first, we have to start in the championship
Championship. What a league. For fans of Birmingham City and Doncaster Rovers, the final afternoon was a complete roller coaster of emotions. Donny were aiming to be the party poopers at the KP, but it just didn't happen. They lost 1 0 to Leicester and to a very debatable penalty as well, conceded by James Husband. While somehow, and I don't think their fans even know how, Birmingham managed to claw their way back from 2 0 down and draw 2 all, and they will be in the Championship next season. Doncaster relegated on goal difference. Liam Hoden is a sports reporter at the Doncaster Free Press and the South Yorkshire Times and he covers the club week in week out and we're pleased to say that Liam joins us on the line right now. Liam, commiserations first of all. Uh, One year ago Doncaster were promoted in the last minute on the final day and one year later they've been relegated in the last minute on the final day. I guess it just perfectly encapsulates the highs and lows of football. Perfectly it does, it certainly does. Stark contrast between two seasons. Unbelievable stuff. Unbelievable. Liam, I have to ask you about the uh, the match earlier in the season. Uh, given that the you know the relegation has eventually come about by the narrowest of margins, the game at Charlton, Doncaster yeah. Rovers are three one up at the time. The game gets abandoned, uh, rearranged, and they end up losing two 0 So if that game had you know carried on and gone ahead, we'd have had a very different outcome. It always seemed like that that game would come back and bite them towards end of season. Um, you felt at time, particularly when they went and replayed that game and lost 2-0, that it was going to end up being a talking point for, for long after the game happened itself. The game never really should have finished anyway. It was, it was, I think the, the worst part about it was the farcical way it was handled by the referee. The um, play was suspended for half an hour and while it ca- carried on raining and then the, they came back on, played rest at first half, half time went through, and the players came back out for second half and it was only then that the referee called it off. Um, and that just stuck for for so long that 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 three points were, that were in Rovers' grass really, and they were going to win that game. That it just slipped away from them. And then as it's gone on and on in the season, and they've still been down there, it's it's always been a talking point. But the, there's been plenty of other points dropped that they really should have should have had, where, where they've conceded late on. Uh, one game that in particular that sticks out on uh, on New Year's Day at Queens Park Rangers. Um, they were uh, winning that game. QPR equalised uh, late on. Um, Rovers had a free kick in in the corner, rather than sticking. Was thinking we're going to take a point. We'll keep ball in corner. The, the the crossed it in and went for goal. QPR broke up pitch and scored. So that was another point that would have kept them up. Well, nonetheless, still going into the last game, it was in your hands. Talk us through the afternoon um, in terms of what was happening at Bolton and what was happening where you were at the KP. It was always going to be a difficult scenario for, for Paul Dickoff and, and, and you could see that because it was in their hands, but you've got to remember the, the, the home of the champions. They're having a party. They're wanting to get the 100 points, which, which a point would have been enough for that and, and a, a few people clung on to that. So it were, Dickoff went safety first. Uh, he played five at the back, which I don't think he's done all season, but... Um, they very much invited Leicester on and, and were looking to contain them. And they did a really good job of that. But you were thinking as it went on, at what point does does Dickoff probably throw the shackles off and, and go for it? Because all, albeit whatever, you're keeping it at nil-nil, there's always a chance that Birmingham are, are going to go in front. And in that case, you're handing it to Birmingham. And I think that was slightly disappointing thing on Saturday from Rovers' point of view, that they kind of left it to Birmingham to answer the questions rather than trying to answer them themselves. They, they never really grasped at that destiny being in their own hands. So, obviously, the afternoon goes on. It, it's nil-nil there. It's nil-nil at Bolton for so long. And then Bolton going front. 
Rovers concede, but then Bolton get a second. So them nerves didn't really set in <laughs> until... Um, well, that must have been quite a surreal moment because obviously Leicester go in front, so the Doncaster fans are fretting, and then a second later you hear that it's two 0 It must have been pandemonium in the uh, in the away end at that point. Yeah, biggest cheer of afternoon before Leicester got their goal when Bolton went one 0 up. Rovers fans just erupted, and then all Leicester fans joined in, and it was a bizarrely <laughs> friendly atmosphere. Like particularly with Paul Dickoff being so yeah. closely associated with Leicester, he was getting there's only one Paul Dickoff chance from from all four sides at ground. And that friendly, you kind of felt for, for a long period that Leicester were happy enough for it to, to, to still be nil-nil. And then they were gifted away into the game with, with a penalty that were a poor foul, for a poor tackle. Well, was it a foul, Liam, Li- was it a foul at all, do you think, in your opinion? I've watched it, but and I do think there were contact, only just, only just. But I think the manner in which he made the tackle kind of handed it to the referee. So this, you know, is, um, this is James' husband, isn't it, who went in on yeah, Myers? Yeah, yeah. And and I've actually watched it back in quite detail. Thing and the uh, the foul actually just outside the box, only just. And you can sympathise with referee from from where his position were, and you know it, it would probably a foot outside the box. But I don't know. I think I think just the just the sort of reckless manner of the, the challenger swiping the leg. I think it get mm-hmm. it get referee. It, it made it easy for referee to give a penalty. I see um, Paul Dick of pre-match comments talks all about experience being the key. Uh, it's survival. Yeah. Um, obviously, that didn't come to fruition uh, at the weekend. Did the team have enough about themselves? Or was, or was it always going to be a difficult case in the first place for Paul Dickoff to be able to keep the team up this season? It was difficult. Uh, and it always, I mean, when, when he got the job last May, he talked about him not thinking about relegation and trying to push as high as he can. But as, as the season wore on, he admitted that fourth bottom were a big achievement. And I do think that's the case. They have managed to bring some decent experience in. I mean, the the back five on Saturday had Abdelai, Mehti, Lucas, Neil and Gabriel Tamas. So you're looking at top-level experience there and, and they all kind of rose to the occasion and, and did the job. But I think that they were just lacking quality, real quality, that you see that they've played games this season, one of them uh, only a few weeks ago against Derby. And Derby didn't really play that well at all. But two pieces of quality, two goals, and then that's it, game over. And from Rovers' perspective, they never really had that piece of quality that where something's going to produce from nothing. They might not play very well, but then they're going to score. That, that wasn't the case. They played really well at times and got nothing. So many times this season, you've come away from a game thinking, they've played, how, how have they not got anything from that game? But the quality in the final third were just lacking. And that, that, that's very much reflected if you... Yeah, if you look at the goals for tally, yeah. thirty-nine yeah. goals this season. The only only Blackpool with thirty-eight have, have a worse record in that department. You know the relegation has been on, you know, is on goal difference a substantial uh, margin as well on goal difference. Uh, yeah. So I mean that that's obviously the the real problem. This the, you know there's not been enough firepower, not been enough, uh, you know, simply not enough goals. No, and there were a lot of hope when they got Billy Sharp back on loan in January that he were going to provide them the goals that they've been missing. They'd had Federico Makeda on loan and he I think he got three goals during his spell, which were quite disappointing, particularly when he went on to Birmingham and scored <laughs> so many. Ironically, some yeah. of his goals helped keep them up at your expense. Yes, yeah. Mm. Uh, but uh, Billy Sharp were, were a real disappointment. A lot were put on him and, and, and a lot of wages that probably could have brought two players in were put into Billy Sharp and he didn't really produce the goods, which were a bit of a disappointment, particularly because he was were, he were probably a club legend already before he even came back. 
Paul Dickoff has said himself, and I see the board have now backed him for next season, Liam. So let's assume yep. that he does remain there and come August he's in charge. What needs to change? What does, what does Paul need to do? There's quite a lot of players out of contract and um, quite a lot of big players as well. David Cottrell, James Coppinger in particular, two players. There's, there's a lot of work to be done, which which is kind of the same situation that they were in the last time they went down to League One. I think Dean Saunders had four or five players on the books when he started rebuilding. Dickoff's going to have a few more than that. It's about 10 or 12, but there is a lot of work to be done. Interesting thing is that Dickoff likes to play really good football, uh, entertaining football, positive football, despite the fact they sat back on, on, on Saturday. But the last time they got out of it, Dean Saunders built a side that were physically robust. It weren't pretty to watch, but it were effective. And it's going to be interesting to see Dickov's approach next season. Will he stick to his sort of footballing principles, or is he going to is he going to change that up? The thing is, I mean, on Saturday when he was interviewed after the game, he came across brilliantly. And DC, you've said before many times on the show what a, a great man Paul Dickov is, yeah. and how you know sort of friendly he is to the press and, and comes across mm. that way. But I did uh, do a little bit of searching online, and there does seem to be a lot of unhappy Doncaster fans. I mean, obviously, his only previous managerial job was at Oldham. He didn't really pull up any trees there. So there isn't really anything in his uh, managerial record so far to suggest that he's going to be a, a promotion-winning manager. No, he, he he has got a lot to prove. He has got a lot to prove. And, and like I say, he, he is a, he's, he's fantastic to work with on, on a media point of view. And a very positive guy that the players seem to like him. And I think you are, when a team goes down or a team struggles, you are always going to get that uh, this dissenting voices. I'd say it were about 50-50 at minute between those who recognise what he's done and how difficult a job he's had against those who are obviously disappointed. Particularly, with, I think the the worst thing that stands against him is the fact that the beat leads in March and they were eight points clear of relegation and they've never won a game since then and obviously they've gone down. But he has got a point to prove. How, how long he gets to prove that point, I'm not sure. But I'm, not, I'm also not sure that this is a board that's going to be that keen on, on changing a manager. Can I apologise, by the way, Liam, for the fact that we only seem to get you on, I think, when Doncaster get relegated. <laughs> and that is, I think we've had you on twice and uh, it's both, both times it's been after uh, a relegation. Thanks for coming on. Before you go, we should say this whole thing was uh, sort of put into context, wasn't it, by the news which broke yesterday as we record. So on Sunday, the, um, a Doncaster fan actually tragically passed away at the game on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really sad news. And I mean, it, in in all the disappointment and we're going down, I think it, it, it seems a bit of a cliche, but things were put into perspective with, with that sad news yesterday. And uh, I'd like to set up through this format, send my condolences out to his family. Absolutely. Best wishes to the family. Uh, thanks very much for coming on, Liam. Uh, hopefully no the next time we speak to you, it won't be after a relegation. Uh, thanks, mate. Yeah. That is uh, Liam Hoden from uh, the uh, Doncaster Free Press and the South Yorkshire Times. So uh, Doncaster go down, uh, DC, but Birmingham stay up. What an amazing scene that was behind that goal at the Reebok when Paul Caddis scrambled that equaliser home. It was basically a mosh pit with 3,793 people in it. Absolutely fantastic, wasn't it? An incredible. Great goal mouth scramble. Fantastic save on the line before the before Cadiz got the header in um, and then you could see just you know how you know we were talking last week about how emotional Lee Clark is and, and you know that was never more evident than, than at the, the final, final whistle. whistle when he ran over to the fans you can see just how much it means to him you know he was in the, look he was you know choked up in the the, the post match press conference and it certainly means a lot to him and I, as i said last week i don't actually think that's necessarily the best 
you know, the best way to be. I think, you know, trying to be level-headed and not getting too high or too low when you're a manager is certainly more helpful for your for your team. But in that moment, I think you can forgive him. And think about Darren Randolph, who made that mistake. When they hear that uh, Doncaster have conceded, he lets one through and you think it's not our day. Just the fact what, in 15 minutes, the turnaround, 75 minutes in, it, I think it was... There probably would have been nil-nil still just about it unless there was Doncaster as well. And then things turned around dramatically. And as Dave's already mentioned, he might have been go-karting at the time. I was driving up to Manchester, so I was listening to it on the radio, which is not something I'd experienced before in the last ever season, listening to it. And it was chaos. It was absolute <laughs> chaos. Five Live had cut to the wrong game, and then Birmingham scored their equaliser when they were at Reading, and there was absolute... It was shouting all over the place. It's it, was, got in. it was great fun to listen to. And as Dave said, the, the radio interview of Lee Clark as well, he was... Sounded completely demoralised, but I think it was just emotionally drained. drained yeah. Nothing left to say. Was- well, Birmingham's song is keep right on to the end of the road, and they kept right on to the end there, didn't they? And there's some amazing um, uh, videos filmed from behind that goal, which are on YouTube. Danny Baker linked to one on Twitter yesterday. Just incredible. Just encapsulates the goal and the significance of it to that club. But obviously, the, uh, trying to find a buyer in League One would have been so difficult. 26 well, yeah. players out of contract as well. well. That's the thing. There's going to be a lot of changes, surely, over the course of the summer. Taking point, Nikola Zigic will certainly go. But we'll be interested to see. You imagine it'll be a completely different team and with, you'd like to think, new owners come August. They've relied a lot on loan players this year, haven't they? So I've had two mm. batches of them, really. And, um, you know, the second half, in, in Paul Robinson's opinion, the captain certainly haven't been good enough. So they'll probably want to avoid having to rely, you know, on that sort of, if you are going to get loans in, try and get them for the whole season. Yeah. You know, not six months, because so often you do see that. You get players from Premier League clubs who... They give them give them six months to get a bit of experience. We had Jordan Much from Birmingham when they were in the Premier League. Uh, Watford had Jordan Much a few years ago, and that was the same problem we had. He was fantastic for us, but then he went back in January, and then you know our, our season sort of started to unravel. And then that that's very much what's happened to Birmingham. And it will be interesting to see if they do find a buyer, and you know whether if they do, you know that all immediately brings into question whether you know Lee Clark will be there next season. Indeed, uh, two teams that did survive as well as Birmingham on the final day were Millwall, first of all, mm. uh, Full House at the mm. Den for a one-nil win against Bournemouth, and the last eight games this season, four wins and four draws. Ian Holloway turned it on when it mattered. Incredible. Yeah, I mean they'll be hoping to continue that next season, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, as with all of these clubs, you know, whether they've gone up or down, it's kind of, you know, reset time in the summer. How many of these players are going to stay? You know, Holloway's already been talking about, you know, making additions to the squad and sort of reshaping it. So you'll certainly be looking to keep that momentum. We called it the greatest achievement of my managerial career. And that's a man who's had plenty of achievements. So that says it all. And Blackpool, Carl, I noticed some Blackpool fans actually on Twitter saying, what did Doncaster deserve to to go down when we stayed up? (laughs) 15 points from the last 87. And they've, uh, well, they've effectively stayed up because that win at Wigan last week. I was going to say, that's what makes it more remarkable. Take those three points off. Playing against Charlton, who... You know, it was safe. I mean, you look at the form guys and Charlton and Millwall have very much dug themselves out and it's Birmingham Doncaster replacement with terrible runs towards the end of the season. Blackpool, a lot of fans would have probably accepted going down just how bad they've been. But to lose 3-0 at home on the last end of the season to Charlton... Got away with you, it. You've got to think as well, Blackpool have got a long summer ahead <laughs> to make sure lot. they're not there next season. They've got a lot to be doing. Just one thing that came that sort of I observed and couldn't help but feeling when, when I was watching the Football League show is that granted, you know, when you do stay up, you know, on the last day and you achieve the thing that you, you know, you have been striving for in the short term, obviously there is, there is going to be, you know, a, a release of emotion and there are, there are going to be celebrations. But, you know, Birmingham was celebrating as if they won the league. You know what I mean? And, and you know, and Brighton, who will come on to, you know, running onto the pitch as if they've been promoted. 
And it's like, I just can't help but feel that sometimes, you know, you still do need to recognise that on a there speaks a man <laughs> who supports a club who loves Troy Deeney. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and look what happened. You know, don't celebrate before your time. Well, that might apply to Brighton, but for Birmingham, I'd, I think they'd be the first to say they'd had a shocking season. I mean, 18 games at home without a win is appalling. You should be relegated. But I think it's all about the short-term success, yeah. isn't it? Just to stay up and then see what happens next year. We will talk about Brighton later in the show, uh, but we're going to move on to League One now because uh, two teams also uh, dropped out of League One uh, over the weekend. Uh, Tranmere Rovers went down, uh, but at Molyneux, in front of nearly 30,000, it all ended for Carlisle after eight years in the second tier. They're down to League Two. So Wolves 3, Carlisle United nil, and a case of contrasting emotions. Uh, sun-drenched Molyneux on Saturday as in front of almost 30,000 of their giddy fans, Wolves set a new all-time third-tier points record whilst the Cumbrians were relegated to League Two after eight years away. It all seems to have gone wrong this season at Brunton Park from the sacking of Greg Abbott to the appointment of Graham Kavanagh and 48 players, count them, used this season the third highest number, I believe, in Football League history. So where do the club go from here and can they recover to form a promotion push in League Two next season? John McGee edits the Carlisle United web fanzine. Bring me the head of Keith Mincher and he writes for the Two Unfortunates as well. And we're pleased to say he joins us on the show right now. Uh, John, thank you very much for coming on. Commiserations on relegation uh, you've known this has been coming for a while now how would you sum up your emotions and the state that the club is in at this present moment um, I think I think um, just desperately sad I think um, what you've said there in your intro about um, knowing it's been coming for a while is is the worst thing I think there was quite a few people over the last fortnight or so who were on desperately to every last mathematical possibility that we could stay up. I mean, there was still an outside, absolutely outside chance that we could have stayed up um, on Saturday. But I think it's been, you know, we've known for a while. We have, we've only won one game since March the 18th when we won away at um, Coventry, Northamptons. And um, yeah, so just really sad. I mean, it, there's just been so many missteps across the course of the season, but it hasn't really seemed inevitable until the last month or so. The question now for most people is, is genuinely what happens next, where do we go next season? And I think there needs to be a lot more openness, transparency, a lot of explanation and a lot of um, pondering at the top level within the club. John, I know you were you were relatively positive about the appointment of Graham Kavanagh initially, uh, but looking back, do you think they made a mistake perhaps in appointing him? I think it would be very easy, but also I think quite knee-jerk to, to say, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I wrote a, a post for, for, for the Carlisle website last week where I I think I I was erring on the side of it being the wrong decision. But, you know, thinking about it over the course of the nine months, things haven't really started to go completely do-lally until the last six to eight weeks. So we started off pretty well. He won three games in a row and it would take a, a board with, you know, stiff resolve to not to not appoint a caretaker manager who, who would have sort of had such a bounce effect uh, in the first instance. And around sort of December, January time, when we had one or two players who, on loan who we haven't been able to retain, things were going relatively positively. And actually, football we were playing around December time, I saw us a few times around Christmas, was really quite good, as good as I can remember in the last two or three years. It's easy to forget that when you're reflecting on things, you know, in the... In the you know, in the in the heat of the moment, when you've had a, a you know a, a relegation, uh, but I think it's important to do so. A lot of people seem to have latched onto the fact that he's 
he's used a lot of excuses about injuries to senior players. But, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to call someone out when you feel that things are going wrong. But, you know, the point about the injury is that it's true. A lot of our better players, our more senior players, have, have been in and out of the team. John O'Hanlon hasn't been fit. Paul Thurlow hasn't been fit. Matt Robson, who is our best player up until Christmas, has hardly played a game since Christmas. And, you know, between those three guys, they've probably got over a thousand football league appearances. And that's, you know, it's a huge amount to take out of a team where you've got four or five 20 year olds playing every week. And to an extent, I think Kevin has actually, uh, you know, he has got something to hang on to there. But um, he's got an opportunity if he's around next season to to completely um, start again and, and, and build the team from the bottom. Would that certainly be up front, though? Fewest goals in the uh, league this season with just 43, or is it all over that Graham needs to work the magic and well, build a completely new team? Well, well, we'll get the retained list tomorrow. Of those who were um, remaining in contract next year, I think there's nine players, and that includes two first-year professionals. My instinct is that there'll probably be offers made to no more than one or two players. And out of those, I, I would expect us to probably be able to retain perhaps one. I think both James Barrett and Liam Noble will be offered deals, but we'll probably find clubs in League One. So there's you know, a huge opportunity for us to, to rebuild all across the, all across the team. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that um, the concentration needs to be on, on scoring goals. There's a really weird stat in amongst the, us going down, particularly over the last sort of 18 to 20 games. So in that time, we've had Jordan Pickford playing in goal on loan from Sunderland. And although we've been losing 6-1, 4-1, 4-1, uh, Notts County and Preston and so on, he's actually kept seven clean sheets in 18 games. So that shows that resolu- you know, in mm. terms of resolution and in terms of defence, we're not bad, but we haven't been able to score any goals. So when we really got relegated, it was nil-nil against Stevenage, nil-nil against Tramia, nil-nil against Shrewsbury, and being unable to hold on to one-nil leads away at Portville and Bristol City. So, you know, yeah, it is. It's goal scoring and it's creating opportunities that's been the downfall of this team since Christmas. There was... Um, sort of slightly ironic uh, thing that I tweeted on uh, in on uh, Saturday evening was he sent Mark Beck, who's our Scotland under-21 striker, out on loan um, in January for, for, for the right reasons. He went to play for Falkirk at a decent level to try and, you know, uh, get him to beef up and play at a good level whilst, you know, Lee, we hope Lee Miller and latterly Gary Medine would, would help us over the line. Uh, in that time, Carlisle forwards, that's six of them, so Miller, Guy, Medine, Sam Byrne, Nacho Novo and David Amu have scored seven goals between them and Mark Beck scored five for Falkirk. Um, So it's kind of shown where things have gone wrong and it was around about January time when that decision was taken. Well, I was just uh, looking back at this sort of eight years you've had in League One earlier today. I mean, you you finished in the playoffs in the past. You've obviously had JPT success. So how does does it sit with you to be going back down to to League Two? Because there's quite a few examples of clubs uh, like Chesterfield, I suppose, and Scunthorpe who've bounced back at the first time of asking this season. But there is also other examples of teams that have struggled like Wickham and Pompey. Yeah, I mean that that's always been at the at the forefront of my mind, and I think if that's that's a, a point is that if you if you you guys hadn't raised it yourself, I would probably have made. It, it could go one of two ways, and I think a lot depends on what happens over the summer, whether that's under Kavanagh or under whoever else. I think if you look at those clubs, then the ones that have had success, so Chesterfield and Scunthorpe are the obvious examples. The reason that they've come right back up is is because they've built around really solid League Two lower level League One experienced players so in Scunthorpe's uh, 
In Scunthorpe's instance, you've got players like David Murphy, Niall Canavan, Gary McSheffrey, Matt Sparrow, Chesterfield. You've got uh, people like Jay O'Shea, Gary Roberts, Mark Richards. They're all really good quality League Two players. They're the type of profile of signing that Carlisle probably need to make and build build the team around alongside some of the, the more talented young lads we've got. If we do go the other way and start bringing in players from you know Liverpool and Manchester United with with, a, with very little league experience, then I do really fear that the trapdoor might be open. You know, Bristol City, sorry, Bristol Rovers. I apologise if I've shown that uh, Northampton and Wickham as well. It, it could go either way, um, and a lot depends on what happens over the summer. Um, the chairman, in an interview this week, said he reckons anything between 13 and 15 signings over the summer for Carlisle. And if you get those wrong, then it's very easy to see us being sucked down in the bottom and being back where we were in sort of 97, 2001 era when I was first starting to watch the team. Yeah, you mentioned there could be potentially 15 signings there. Well, I mean, you add that to the quite ridiculous amount of players you've used this season. Mark mentioned it in the intro. 47 players, I think, used or maybe 48 48 players used this season, um, which is one of the highest ever in Football League history. I mean, in nearly five teams worth. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like, I mean, how, how you know, really must make Graham Kavanagh's job, you know, remarkably difficult to get any sort of stability and, and consistency with, with those sort of numbers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what, what, what I should say first and foremost is obviously that's over across the tenures of two managers. So, both of those both of those managers will want to put their own stamp on it. And also in mitigation, to both Greg and to Graham Kavanagh as well. At the start of the season, we went through a period where our first choice player was getting injured. We were bringing in either a short term or a low knee and they were getting injured. There was one instance where I think we had four left backs in the space of about six weeks. Um, so, you know, that even before Graham Kavanagh took over in mid-September, the numbers were already well over 20. Since then, you know, the pattern has continued and there have been a few players amongst that 48 who have been literally dreadful. So Dean Buzanis made naught appearances. Craig Rodden, who was on loan from Liverpool, played for 20 minutes. James Pearson from Leicester, he's played twice. And there are four or five others. Nacho Novo has been literally appalling. Uh, Some of them have just been dreadful. The argument in mitigation for, for Cav is that, you know, between January and May when we've ultimately gone down, has been, you know, it's the worst time in the season for you to get injuries. And we've had injury on, on top of injury, on top of injury. And it, and it genuinely has been our like our really strong, experienced players who've been uh, going down like flies. And it's very, very difficult to get somebody in with any quality to replace them. So he's been, you know, bringing in Rodden to replace Stilwell, finding out he's rubbish, bringing in Danny Redmond from Wigan, who's been okay, but been in and out of the side. And, I think there there is sort of arguments in mitigation, but unfortunately, you know that that figure has become totemic in the same way that not being able to win three three games in a row did for Graham uh, for Ed Graham. And unless he goes out and in his first couple of signings over the summer, you know, brings in the type of players of the quality that we think we need, and I fear that he's uh, he's going to be fighting a losing battle come uh, come August. And John, one one final thing I wanted to ask you about before you go um, is about the supporters trust because I read the uh, the post you you wrote last week on on the uh, the Keith Mincher site and um, to quote from it you say uh, in some respects it is the role of the trust uh, in this scenario that is the most dispiriting confronted by a club devoid of purpose and direction they have singularly failed to do their job in representing the genuine concerns of fans at board level what would you like to to see happen with the trust or what well, needs to I- change. 
well everything <laughs> right. um so the trust the trust has only only around 350 members which i think is illustrative of their uh, their profile within carlisle uh, i won't go into it too much but just to give you a little flavor of uh, of the history of that trust um, they bought their 25.3% stake in Carlisle United uh, largely through um, a large monetary gift given to them by Brooks Mileson, who went on to uh, own and then um, take Gretna to the, the precipice up in uh, up in the Scottish leagues. They haven't put any money in since that that was, that time. That was sort of a, a late 90s, early 2000s, and their numbers have constantly dwindled whilst they've been involved in sort of internecine warfare with the various owners of the club over, you know, trustees, land, and this, that, and the other. I, I don't know the background, but that their profile within Carlisle is, is genuinely coming from a terrible point of view. That they they haven't really represented the fans. They've represented their own personal interests. Now, this season, I kind of felt that there's, there's a vacuum for them to come in and sort of start doing inspirational work, trying to look into the future and trying to get a bit more investment into the club. I wrote a whole, a big, you know, big open letter to them just in sort of November time saying, you know, making some open suggestions, asking some questions about, you know, how, what, what, they, what value they're adding and what they could do in the future. It took them over a month to even respond to that letter, which they did on Christmas Day. Um, so uh, I spent Christmas morning not only unwrapping my presents, but unla- un- unwrapping that rather desperate gift from my friends at the Carlisle United Trust. What a weird time to respond by them. Yeah, yeah. I think that it was uh, sort of making a point because I'd been poking them with a stick about I them see. not responding for I a see. while. But some of the things I suggested were, for example, charity events with uh, big Carlisle fans like Grant Holt or Paul Nixon, the former England wicketkeeper. And they're saying, they came back and said, oh, we've got these in hand. We're going to be doing loads of things, working with like the Swansea Supporters Trust, with AFC Wimbledon to try and promote uh, Supporters Trust uh, across the country and in Carlisle. And since Christmas Day, when they send the response, they've done literally nothing. If you look on their, uh, their website, the response to my open letter is still about the third or fourth story uh, on their news page, which was in December uh, 2013. What they're doing, I really don't know. I have a sort of personal animus against support, you know, the supporters just movement, which is rather sad because it's got such noble intentions. But at Carlisle, it's just surely the model of worst practice uh, in the entire football league. Well, chin up anyway, John. Thanks very much for coming yeah. on. Um, enjoy the summer if you can. Hopefully we'll catch up with you again maybe next season. Okay. Take care, mate. Uh, that is uh, John McGee, obviously the line going a bit at the end there, who works, who writes for the Two Unfortunates and edits the Carlisle United web fanzine. Bring me the head of Keith Mincher, which you can read at keithmincher.com. So Carlisle are gone, and after 13 years in League One, so too are Tranmere Rovers. And if you think about it, DC, what a turnaround from 18 months ago when they were top of the division and on course for promotion to the Championship. Now they're in League Two. Yeah, they've had an absolutely horrendous season. Uh, you know, on and off the pitch, that's fair to say, with, with, with the, you know, the scandal that eventually saw, you know, Ronnie Moore, Ronnie Moore's demise, you know, and it, it, you, you can't help but think back to that time, you know, last season when it was going so well and they, I, I suppose it, it perfectly, it shows you do need to capitalise on those moments when you're doing well, you know, strengthen when you're, when you're strong. You know, they lost some players in January of that season and ever since, really, it's been mm. a slow decline and it's gathered momentum as you've gone on this season and now they have gone down. I didn't realise it had been so long, to be honest. 1989, mm. 25 years ago, the last time they were down there. And uh, as you, you mentioned, the, uh, the off-the-field stuff there with the, uh, with the betting scandal. Also, Joe Thompson, you remember the, the Tranmere player, key player mm. diagnosed with cancer earlier in the season. So it's got to be one of the, the worst seasons in their history and I think they probably need to appoint a new manager now, don't they, Carl? Ab- and, and get it all sorted in the summer. But summed up at the weekend by losing... You know, 
at home, going down to 10 men with an awful tackle. Junior Brown. Junior Brown as well. It was, I mean, the, if I had they won, it wouldn't have mattered, I yeah, don't believe, yeah. looking at the goal difference. Goal difference in the way it stands. Like with a dodgy mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they've got to appoint someone and appoint someone soon. Uh, staying up are Notts County. We talked about them last week. Alan Sheehan took away that penalty at Oldham in front of a sea of black and white behind that goal. And Crew also stayed up with a 2-1 win against Preston. They managed to get themselves out of the mind. What a result that is, by the way, in the last day of the season to beat Preston at home. Absolutely, yeah. You know, Preston would have been you know looking to try and finish third and get themselves a favourable draw in the playoffs. So they still certainly had something to, to play for. Uh, and you know they've come up trumps when they when they needed to. So congratulations to uh, Crew Alexandra and uh, also to Notts County. Commiserations to Tranmere and uh, Carlisle who will be down in League Two next season. Uh, next, then we concentrate on League Two and the big battle at the bottom. Three teams in it ahead of the weekend: Northampton Town, uh, Bristol Rovers, and Wickham Wanderers. Wickham said they needed a miracle, needed a fairy tale on a perfect day at Playmore. What a weekend then to be a fan of Wiccan Wanderers. They said to believe and the fairy tale came true in front of 929 delirious fans behind that goal at Torquay on Saturday afternoon. Wiccan won 3-0 against the 10 men of already relegated Torquay United and with their results sewn up pretty early on, all the focus was then on the memorial ground. Uh, Twitter was on constant refresh, ears pressed up against radios, that kind of thing. And ultimately, because of Mansfield's 1-0 win at Bristol Rovers, the chairboys survived. They are still in the Football League. One man who was there uh, was Phil Catchpole, who is a Wickham reporter for BBC Three Counties Radio and also the co-host of the There's No Turning Back podcast. And Phil, you were there on Saturday and you were actually in with the crowd, I believe, the last 15 minutes, relaying the Bristol Rovers score. Yeah, it was a wonderful day. I've literally just come down off the ceiling, Mark. <laughs> it was um, an absolutely crazy day. We were doing the commentary, um, and uh, when Wickham went 3 0 up, the producer quite rightly said, Right, this game's done and dusted. Uh, let's whack the Bristol Rovers commentary on. And then they stuck me out in the terrace with a radio mic, um, which was tremendous. I had the commentary coming through my ears, and there were people with radios and Twitter. So everyone was desperately trying to keep uh, each other updated on what was going on. And, uh, and when it was five minutes of injury time, which, as you can imagine, felt like about 15 hours. And then when the, when the whistle finally went, the roar on the terrace, there was just under a 1,000 Wickham fans there. I've never heard anything like it in all my years following Wickham Wanderers. It was, it was like a primal roar, <laughs> and it was absolutely fantastic. You saw uh, Gareth Ainsworth sinking to his knees uh, when the final whistle went. Uh, and he said afterwards, uh, after the game, that ranks among the, uh, among the best things he's ever done in his career. So it's his first real full season in charge. I mean, how how do you think this season reflects on, on Gareth Ainsworth? He's, he's got the, the last day drama and you know the elation of staying up, but ultimately you have only survived by the virtue of three goals more than Bristol Rovers. Indeed. Well, I think first off, I think you know I'm so pleased for Gareth. He's possibly one of the nicest people in the game, and you know it's not been easy for Wickham Wanderers this year off the pitch as well as on the pitch. And um, Gareth has had to do with quite a lot of stuff and I, I do fancy over the summer people may may get the full story of, of what the club's been going through uh, this season as well I mean he's a young rookie manager it's almost like a perfect storm of situation really because he hasn't got a lot of money um, as he's saying he's, he's inherited a lot of uh, players from the previous manager Gary Wallach as well uh, not all of his signings have paid off although he's really redeemed himself in the loan market this season but um, he's the most relentlessly optimistic positive person there is and even I suppose him on Thursday 
And uh, he, he kind of came out with that line of, you know, I, I know all about fairy tales. I tell them to my kids every week. And, you know, I'm so pleased that it's actually come through for him because it was a fairy tale on Saturday. Well, I mean, and if anyone deserved it, it was Gaz. Compared to the, the previous week, I mean, Bristol Rovers fans on the pitch at the end of that game, they thought they'd pretty much stayed up. We talked about it on the show last week. We had a Bristol Rovers fan on. We were talking to him as if it was, you know, pretty much a done deal. They're going to get. Well, a he po- was convinced. Yeah, that. they're going to get a point at home to a, a, ta- a mid-table team, Mansfield, with nothing to play for. So, I mean, going into Saturday, you must have been prepared for the worst. I was. I think a lot of the fans were as well. And I know I felt for a lot of the younger fans. I mean, I'm 35, so I can remember what it was like to be in the conference and that amazing Martin O'Neill team. And, and my attitude was, you know, when I started following the club, they were non-league. They were in the conference south as it, as it is now. Um, so, you know, my main concern was for the, for the future of the club because it wasn't just league status they were playing for on Saturday. I think it was, you know, the potential um, of administration or, or possibly even going out of business over the summer was a very stark reality It's going out of the league. I mean, it's not going to be easy this summer anyway, but it's, it's going to be a lot easier than it was than and now we're in the football league, but everyone was kind of prepared for it. Um, and it was it was a bit like going to a funeral going down to the game because on the message boards during the week, people it been it actually been really nice. People have been putting their favourite memories of the last 21 years up, and and I think it was a good sort of time to take stock, and everyone sort of appreciated what a fantastic little club it is. And because um, and we had our backs against the wall, and everyone was like, "Oh, we're not. It's not really going to happen." It just made it even even better when it did. And Bristol Rovers they had their party a week early. It was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, our place as well, and and you can kind of see it. You know, the fans coming out, and you know, football fans are great, aren't they? Because they were, they were sort of you know, mocking the home fans, saying, you know, you're going to go down and everything else, and and, it, and again, that just makes it even more sweeter. So, what can happen then during the summer, Phil? You mentioned the extremely limited resources that the club and Gareth will have at his disposal. But take a team, say like Dagenham and Redbridge, who many people have tipped of be down or have gone down this season who finished in ninth this season I know the league's been extremely tight this year so there may be anomalies within that but how can Wickham be inspired to do something like that next season if they haven't got many resources in terms of financial capabilities to be able to push on and make sure they're not in this position again come 12 months time well, it's it's a trust-run club. You know, it's a board primarily made up of people who've never run a football club before. And that's been painfully obvious this season. There's been some horrendous mistakes off the pitch. And the trust, I think, have been big enough to hold up their hands and admit that. You know, they're fighting financial fires all the time. And I think they could probably deal with uh, with a bit of help in that respect and then they can start concentrating on on the day-to-day of running a football club. There's people who want to come in and buy the club, apparently. They didn't really want to reveal themselves until Wickham um, were in the league or where they knew where they were going to be next season. So that could, uh, that could come through as well. But Dagenham and Redbridge is a great example. And for me, it's what Wickham need to look at because John Still, when he was at Dagenham and Redbridge, he was the master of, of you know finding rough diamonds in non-league, bringing them through, getting them into the team and selling them on. And that's what Wickham need to do now. The youth system's not there anymore. So they need to be connected in non-league. They need to pick up some rough diamonds, bring them through. And that will be the model how they and, and how they'll how they'll survive. Wickham have got some fantastic young players as well, and I fancy they might disappear in the summer. But we've sold players in the past, in the last sort of season or two, and not really got the fees we needed because it's sort of well documented out there that Wickham are pretty much on their knees financially. So um, it needs a bit of investment, but the club's got great potential. So you could see someone coming in maybe and getting involved. Well, talk to us a bit about those young players and, and the big performers on Saturday, because as much as obviously you needed Bristol Rovers to drop points, you also needed to go to a team 
uh, who admittedly have been uh, relegated already, but they have been in really good form in the last few weeks, Torquay. And to win by three goals to nil and to get at them as early as you did, there must have been uh, a lot of uh, you know fight shown by those uh, those Wickham lads on Saturday. Yeah, and again, that's credit to Gareth Ainsworth. He's come under a lot of fire this year, you know, maybe not being tactically uh, where he should be in, in, in a lot of games, but he's never lost the dressing room. They've always wanted to run and battle hard for Gareth and, uh, and he picked up a despondent group of players and turned them around in a week and they came out against Torquay and they hit the ground running and, and they did it for him really and, you know, the, the young players, Matt Ingram, the goalkeeper, is fantastic. He's He's got a big future ahead of him. Um, he's 21 years old. He's played every single single game this season for Wickham Andrews played over 50 games so there's not many young English goalkeepers in the, who are doing that I think he's going to go on and uh, potentially play in the Premier League you know one little question might need to improve his kicking but once he's done that he's he's uh, he's not far from the finished article for me and at such a young age that's fantastic Josh going in midfield he's a real little terrier great footballer as well and I think he'll be on his way over the summer but he's another product of the youth system Matt McClure who scored on Saturday as well if he can just get his injury problems out of the way He's got 20, 25 goals in him in the right side and he's he's come through the system. What a well. goal that was, by the way. What a finish that was. His goal. Well, it's possibly some of the worst defending I think I've ever <laughs> seen this season and that's really saying something in League 2, which hasn't been the best league this year. But yeah, I mean, he was there to put it away and, you know, calmly done as well. And uh, yeah, he's a fantastic player. But yeah, there's there's some good... There's, the youth system at Wickham, it was just such a shame they closed it down because it was, it was, it was mm. such a great system like Jordan Ives and Matt Phillips, Kadeem Harris... You know, Charles Dunn, who's come back to us on loan as well. There's a real rich vein of kids coming through that system, and, and to close it down for financial reasons, and you know, it's been well documented why that was done, but it was a bit heartbreaking for the club. And Phil, final question for you uh, before we let you go What were the celebrations like at the end? Just sort of uh, tell us what it was like to be on the pitch and amongst all those players, and the journey back, I suppose, of all the fans as well. It was fantastic. I mean, initially on the terrace, it was just absolutely wonderful. The outpouring of relief. I mean, I've never seen so many grown men and women crying. It was just tremendous. And, you know, because there were so many people who made the trip, which I think is, you know, another wonderful thing for the town and the club, a thousand people heading down to essentially to what they thought they were going to go and see a wake, but actually had the best party of all time. It was just <laughs> phenomenal. And, um, you know, the players, you know, the outpouring of relief, Matt Bloomfield, testimonial year, said it's his proudest moment at the club. You know, and he put a bit of realism on it as well, saying it doesn't feel right to celebrate this kind of season. But you know, the, the relief as well, and you know, it's not it's not a, it's not easy being a League Two footballer. They're not earning huge amounts of money. They've all got families and mortgages and stuff. And I think they realise as well the effect this had on them. They won't have a relegation on their CV, and they can possibly be playing for Wickham next year. Many congratulations, Phil. Enjoy the summer. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'll be having a few more drinks over the summer <laughs> and reflecting on this season. OK, thanks, mate. That is uh, Phil Catchpole, Wicked Wonders reporter for BBC Three Counties Radio and 50% of the There's No Turning Back podcast, which you can uh, download right now on iTunes. So the glory and elation go to uh, Gareth Ainsworth, Carl. But in contrast, Daryl Clark in floods of tears on Saturday. Bristol Rovers, after 94 years in the Football League, relegated. And here's that stat. Northampton, 217 days in the bottom two this season. Wickham, seven days Bristol Rovers one day and it was the one that mattered what a disaster for that football club what a fantastic stat that is I do like a good stat and that's an absolutely um, John Ward's timing of his departure I think was the one that really killed it off for Bristol Rovers fans and Daryl Clark uh, you see what it meant to him at the whistle in tears basically yeah well a lot of fans the was... fans getting arrested as well with aggro on the pitch it's just 
very ugly and well they must we have know. gone down to, uh, to that uh, that game thinking they're going to have a massive party mm. they're going to stay up <laughs> and then it all unravelled didn't it and uh, yeah. yeah I've noticed online actually a lot of fans because Daryl Clark pictures of him in, in tears after the, the game and he said he took responsibility but a lot of fans on Twitter were saying he shouldn't take responsibility he was thrown, he was thrown, thrown in, in with there. eight games to yeah. go yeah. and you know either John Ward should have stuck around and sorted out the mess he'd put them in or he, uh, he should have gone earlier. Well, you know, and that's forever going to be on Daryl Clark's record now, you know. He's the man... After 94 years. ...at the helm that took Bristol Rovers out of the Football League for the first time in their history. Um, and as you, can say, as you say, you could see how much it meant to him. You, you know, he was absolutely shattered. And, you know, that's going to take some considerable effort to pick yourself up and, and you know, go again and try and, and try and get back as soon as they possibly can. And, you know, out of all the... We mentioned dropping out of League One into League Two could be difficult, but I think you know mm. there there isn't any more difficult challenge than, than dropping out of League Two into the Conference. It does usually take quite some time to get back. So, you know, for all the talk of Bristol Rovers being a huge club, you know, Steve Claridge going really going for it on the Football League show, saying they're a massive club. I don't think they are a massive club really. They, what they what they've done, they're always touted as being you know a club that could push on and have this good season. This is this has been coming. This has been coming for a number of years now. And they've failed to deal with, you know, consistent underperformance and now they're down. Northampton three, Oxford one, more than seven and a half thousand at six fields. Uh, the second biggest crowd they've ever had there since taking over on the twenty seventh of January. Chris Wilder's picked up twenty eight points. There were six points adrift when he took over and Northampton Town remain in the Football League over two hundred days in the bottom two and they've stayed up. What a job he's done there, not only at Northampton, but it's all gone tits up at Oxford since he left. Yeah and I mean, remarkably, uh, the the late season success has been inspired in, in the last few games by a young lad I, Ivan Tony, who's uh, last week scored a fantastic overhead kick, and I, I know this week before the game, the local paper printed masks. Of him. <laughs> <laughs> he's only played two games and he's already got his own masks. Um, but you know, it shows shows you know a bit of courage and and you know and good faith in him from the manager to put a young player in in such a difficult time in the season when it's probably tempting to go for the older heads and the more experienced players but come up Trump scored the goals and you know they they've done enough that's some impact isn't it You've played two games and you've already got a mask got printed of you. Retire now. Won't get any better than exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> well done to the Cobblers. They live to fight another day. Congratulations to them. Um, in just a minute, we are going to be talking uh, all about the playoffs and who's going to be playing who. Uh, we'll also be uh, reading out some of your tweets and our big end of season awards. And uh, we'll be talking about that dramatic afternoon at the Medeski and at the City Ground on Saturday. But first, it is time for my club, that bit of the show where we hear from another fan in 125 seconds, all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League. And today, the focus is on Crew Alexandra. This is... We are going up. My club in 125 seconds. Hello, I'm Tim Tantrum and my club is Crew Alexandra. So Tim, do you remember your first ever trip to Gresty Road? Yeah, I think it was back in 1996 and it was against York City and we, uh, we've we lost 1-0 that one. Who scored the first ever goal that you saw for Crew? Oh, God. No, I'm going to have to pass on that one. I can't remember oh, that one. Showing your age there, probably. Tim, what's the best moment yeah. you've ever had as a Crew fan? Um... It was probably South End away in the playoff year when we came up from League mm. 2 um, only a couple of years ago. Um, just a very good away day. The fans were all on top form, got us to Wembley. It was just a cracking day in the sun in South End. Football's perfect. Hey, Tim, you've been very fortunate as a Crew fan to see see many uh, players that have come through uh, the books at Crew and, and have gone on to you know, bigger and better things. So who, who's your sort of favourite player of all those young ones over the years of all the young ones we've brought through it's probably Dean Ashton or Nick Powell um, they're both the type of players that could just turn a game in an instant both very similar you got to see Dean Ashton go on and do more and I don't think we got to see enough of Nick Powell at crew before he's moved on 
but those two, you're proud to associate with crew. But on the other side of things, Tim, who's been the worst player you've ever come across? The worst player? Um, I think some people probably say someone like Jamie Morley, who was, uh, uh, I think he was going from Watford. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> worst signing? I don't imagine you made two, you've made too many signings over the t- Dario Gradi era. It was all about promoting from within, but is there one uh, big signing, maybe when you're in the championship or whatever, that uh, springs to mind as a bit of a failure? The, only, the recent one was Michael West. We got him from somewhere in non-league and we paid a, a decent fee for him and he just didn't settle at all, so he went straight back. And tell us about this season because it's been a bit of a struggle, hasn't it, after uh, after last year? Uh, but you managed to stay up on Saturday. You must be absolutely delighted with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it all got off to a bad start down in Cornwall and we made the press for the wrong reasons, which we didn't want to see. And we never recovered from that. Everyone's pulled round, turned it all round, and everyone started playing. And uh, yeah, we've done much better this time of the season. But yeah, it's a relief. Tim, your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the football league covered. So there will be another My Club on the show next week. Just three more shows to go. Remember to tweet us at Wagyu Podcast or send us an email via the website wearegoingup.co.uk slash contact if you want to come on and tell us about supporting your club. I'm kind of resigned to the fact we're not going to get around every club here <laughs> considering we've still got about half the football league to go. Um, so the regular season might be over but the playoffs start here. 12 teams are still dreaming of promotion this season. One of them is Brighton and Hove Albion. The Seagulls only went and bloody did it. They grabbed a 2-1 win at Nottingham Forest thanks to that injury time header by Leonardo Ojoa whilst Reading could only manage a 2-2 draw at home to Burnley another late twist in the championship and uh, Reading will be cursing that Jason Shackle clearance off the line weren't they and they had the chances in the second half to win that game absolutely you know, they had the yeah like you say right after uh, they heard the news that you know Joe has scored they had the chance to score at the corner you know, they maybe could have had a penalty in the first half definitely yeah so certainly say as you say there were chances and that they'll be kicking themselves what a goal by Gareth McCleary though you've oh, got to say tremendous he's incredible Incredible strike. I mean, that would have been worthy as being the goal that got them in the playoffs. But Reading went, uh, sorry, Brighton went and nicked it at the end. And it was Craig McHale Smith, wasn't it? He's been out for most of the season. Yeah, which was nice to see. Laid it on the plate Tremendous for uh, Joe. Although I've yeah. got to say, what the what the bloody hell was Danny Collins doing? I said someone else then. Language what the, mark. What the hell was he doing for that? Craig didn't even seem interested in marking him. Um, but yeah, Brighton getting the players for a second successive season. And for Oscar Garcia in his first year in, in charge this year, that's got to be a, a huge tick yeah. on there. Absolutely. Um, there has been, I, I've sort of heard a few little rumblings you know, looking around on Twitter and stuff that some people don't seem to think he's going to be at Brighton for that much longer. I suppose that will, you know, a lot of that will hinge on whether or not they get up in the playoffs. And, and I don't mean as in, he, you know, he's going to be sacked. I think other clubs are interested in him and there's also been talk that maybe he fancies you know, going somewhere else. Watch the space. In the playoffs then, Brighton against Derby. Uh, the first leg of that is on Thursday and Wigan against QPR. The first leg of that is on Friday. In fact, the first and second legs of both those semi-finals will have been played by the time we do the show next week. So how do we see these going? I'll give you the league results. Derby beat Brighton twice in the league this season. QPR beat Wigan 1-0 at home and they drew 0-0 away. So who's got the advantage going into these semi-finals? Well, arguably, you could say Derby and Brighton are two favourites, but unfortunately they're playing each other. <laughs> you know, looking at their form and everything. I don't know how you can't not look past Derby, though. They've got more points. They've got a lot more goals. Given that away goals don't count in the playoffs, so the number they conceded shouldn't necessarily matter as well. They've got excellent momentum. You'd have to say Derby, I think. You've been tweeting away this week loads of stats about the third-place team getting up in the playoffs. There's another one, More often than not. Yeah, absolutely. It does does seem, you know, people always say, oh, you know, it's always the team that comes late, wins the playoffs. And that's simply not the case. And I don't get me started on the the lottery (laughs) thing. I mean, it's 
So it was such nonsense. Peter um, Beagree said that on Sky next week. I nearly threw threw my uh, phone at the telly. It was a good. And I, I was when I was tweeting about that. Um, Jonathan, a Derby fan we had on earlier in the season, tweeted me a picture from the Derby program for, from the game against Watford a few weeks ago. And John Eustace was who's you know, been a losing playoff um, semi finalist with Watford a couple of times. You know, was was commenting on that, and he said it actually annoys him when when people say mm. it's a lottery. You know, it's about being prepared. It's about continuing to do the things that they've been doing all season for for two more, maybe three more games, you know, in order to get up into the Premier League. Their destiny is in their own hands. If they play well, they play like they have been playing, then you would you think, Carl, I'd, I'd agree with you, you'd mm. think Derby would get up. And arguably Derby ha- should have been preparing this for a good couple of weeks now. They've not been able to get hold of Burnley unless and they've been relatively safe. The other semi-final is quite interesting. Two teams that came down from the Premier League last season, a lot of pressure on Harry Redknapp in particular for QPR to deliver and they've known for a long time they were going to be in the playoffs they've got the second leg at Loftus Road they haven't lost to Wigan this season can they turn it on when it matters they've got Charlie Austin back I suppose yeah well I think that's a positive and they have you know there were some real worries at QPR that the season was just fizzling out the goals had dried up they were losing you know more games than they'd like to have done but I think the return of Charlie Austin and and the, the loan signing of Ravel Morrison gave them just enough in the end, didn't it? They, they have picked up a crucially a little bit of momentum and maybe maybe they'll sit well-placed. Maybe maybe it'll suit them to perhaps, you know, they're not the outstanding favourites because of the season they've had. People expected them to be in the top two. So now people almost look at them as if, you know, and, so, and you can make a case for this being so, as if they've had an unsuccessful season. Well, they're, you know, but they obviously they still can make it into a very successful one. If they, if they get up through the playoffs, it doesn't really matter how you get up as long as, as, long as you get up. But I, I think it is very important. You know, Tony Fernandez has said that, you know, the club will be fine financially if they don't go up. But, you know, the, the football finance figures that were released just last week again uh, you know, make for a pretty grim reading if you're a QPR fan. It's very important that they get up. It has to be. I did read as a complete side to that on the financial things that they've got a bigger wage bill than Atletico Madrid. It's true. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's true. Correct, yeah. And uh, and Wigan have, have played about 100 games this season already, so yeah. Yeah. maybe that'll tell. Into League One then, and the playoffs there. Peterborough against Leighton Orient and Preston against Rotherham. Now, we've known these four... Uh, playoff semi-finalists for quite a long time it was just a question of who was going to play who I think Preston will be gutted they've lost at Crewe because now they've got the second leg away from home Mm. against Rotherham Uh, both games between Preston and Rotherham this season have been draws uh, while the away team won in the games between Peterborough and Orient and uh, I think um, Russell Slade summed it up quite nicely after the game when he sort of said uh, two good teams we've both beaten each other this season let's go to it again see if they may the best team win kind of thing Part of me still thinks, I don't know why I've got this feeling. Uh, I'm not comparing Leighton Orient to Tranmere, but they had their chance earlier this season. They started to let it slip somewhat. Obviously, Wolves ran away with things, but they had their chance. And they well, they have they, won three of their last five games, though. Yes, so. they've started to rebuild things as well, but I just wonder. I, I, I wouldn't. You've got a sneaky feeling for seventh or yeah, se- uh, sixth, sorry. Yeah, I've got a horrible feeling that it'll be Peter Brett. Rotherham as well, a team that I wouldn't mind backing as well. The, the job that Steve Evans has done this season, no one would have at all expected them to be anywhere near the playoffs come the start of a season so I've done that as well it's incredibly well and of course you've got the Simon Grayson factor at, at Preston DC it was really intriguing actually because you do have uh, you know, Orient Rotherham and Preston outstanding this season yeah all have had really good seasons and they you know they'll be looking at the table and thinking Jesus well, you know we're a bit unlucky really normally I think eight, what was the points total that Doncaster got last season 80 something 86 yeah, was it normally I think a season you get 85 86 you're, you're doing really you're very hard done by to get 85 points and finish 5th <laughs> you know, considering the the record's been broken, so it's unfortunate for them in that respect that they're in, in a season with two outstanding teams in Wolves and Brentford. But there's not much between those three. You know, 
Peterborough have got that sixth spot, but they're what, nine points behind Preston in the league, their final league table. Yeah, which which doesn't mean that they haven't got a chance. You know, they've they've won the the JPT this season. They've been they've done it in the playoffs before. They'll they'll have that experience there. Ferguson's got that experience of of what it takes. But then so Simon Grayson, he knows all about getting out of, of League One as well. Unfamiliar territory for for Orion over the last few years. They've sort of tended to miss out, haven't they? But as you say, Carl, they they have uh, got that. Will it be in the back of their minds that they that they could have gone up, or you know, are they, as you say, Mark? You know, they're playing well at the moment. They've got a bit of form on the pitch. You know, does that mean that they're focused? I think it's going to be really intriguing. First legs of those games are on Saturday. Uh, the Peterborough Orient game is at twelve fifteen, and the Preston Rotherham game is at five fifteen. We'll talk about those first legs on the show next week. League Two, congratulations to everyone at Chesterfield. Two one winners against Fleetwood. Gary Roberts with a, a brilliant winning goal, and they are champions of League Two for the second time in four years. Question is, can they make a better fist of it uh, in League One than they did last time we'll, we'll have to find out the playoffs have been confirmed as well and ironically Southend and Burton played each other on the last day of the season and they're going to be playing each other twice more over the next week or so it's Burton Albion against Southend and uh, York City against Fleetwood Town the head-to-head Southend did the double over Burton this season and um, between York and Fleetwood the away sides won the respective games this is interesting because Fleetwood have been flying a bit unlucky not to get, not to get in the top three but York City I think they're yeah. unbeaten in something stupid now. What is it, 15 games, 12 games or something like that? Ridiculous, isn't it? And, and they considered five goals in that period. I said people wouldn't expect Rotherham, but York, I mean, come on. I mean, it's incredible what Nigel Wilmington's done there. And it's incredible in the context of just in this season as well, because they yeah. were in the bottom three, I think, going into uh, the 22nd, 23rd, going into Christmas. I mean, again, where do, you, where do you start with these ones as well? Fleetwood and York, in my opinion, I know, Dave, you've got a hankering for Southend to still go down this season <laughs> uh, which uh, won't happen at all and Phil Brown well, if be... anything that's a good omen for them because obviously last yeah. season I'd back Port Vale to be relegated and they ended up going up from, yeah. from this league but well, I'd fancy maybe Southend against Burton Burton haven't scored that many goals this season they've been quite good defensively so, though. Burton of course stung after last season in the playoffs as well we want to come back but you're quite right they haven't scored many and if it's going to go on the basis that it's two games and it's basically the team who scores most rather than it being against away goals then Person you think would have to be the least like out of those four teams? You'd have to suggest. I was um, I was talking to to Phil Brown the other day. Oh, sorry yeah. for the shame. Oh, yeah. Sorry for the shameless no, shame. Sorry, name, just dropped a name. Yeah. But it is a, it is appropriate Flunk. in at this at this juncture. Um, How is he? He's he's very well. Good. Uh, and I was I was talking to him actually in, in particular about the keeper. You know, we talked about Daniel. He didn't come on your stag do, did he? <laughs> no, no, I wish he had done. Um, Daniel Dan- Bentley. Daniel Bentley, yeah, who's got a lot of plaudits for them this season and um, being watched by by several uh, clubs from higher levels you know, as high up as the championship at the moment. And Phil seemed to certainly suspect that he wouldn't be long uh, for, for South End if he continues to play like he did. And maybe he'll have an opportunity to showcase his skills now in the playoffs and it could come down to penalties in, in, a, in a semi-final or, or indeed the final. Um, you know they've had they had a little rough patch, didn't they? About a month or so ago, Massive where it looked like the, the, the wheels yeah. were going to fall off, maybe slip out of the top seven. But they they've got some good form as well. Um, uh, but like, like you say, York have been on this remarkable run. Burton have just we shouldn't discount Burton, but no. it, it, it's easy to because they've just kind of bubbled along there all season. They've never really been that in much in danger of crashing the top three, but never looked like they're going to drop out of the top seven either. So, you know, hats off to them for their consistency this season. It's been, it's been really good. They have the last season's disappointment to get over and can they go one better again? I mean, I, I love the playoffs. 
Oh, it's despite, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it really is. And d- d- well, unless you're losing the semi-finals, say, yeah, yeah. despite the various, <laughs> which we've yeah, all we've, suffered. We've all experienced that last week. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, right. End of season awards. Then we put out some questions on Twitter, um, and uh, we've had some uh, responses. So I asked about favourite goal of the season. Uh, Andrew Hipkins, uh, 90th minute, Sam Ricketts screamer to make it Wolves five, Rotherham four, at Marnie in April. And Chris Crowfer says, "What about Gareth McCleary's goal at the weekend?" It's got to be up there, hasn't it? Especially that it made the playoffs. One of those goals, if it had been scored by a player at a higher level, would have been sung about even more so, probably. Yeah, I've got some more there as well. Uh, Joel Lynch, 35-yard screamer. Absolute belter uh, for Huddersfield against mm. Charlton. Right into the top corner with the added addition of coming in off the bar, yes. uh, which makes it all That's the... That's from Thrice Champions, isn't it, on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. And what about Luke Freeman as well? Owen suggested these. It's, well, it's remarkable. So <laughs> it's against, against Bradford. Bradford. He scores two, actually. The first one's not bad, but it's the second one, which is a free kick, which is great. We'll, we'll post these links up on Twitter. Um, so you've got about a minute or 30 seconds to a minute whilst the, the, the hover of three players standing over the ball. And then there's other players running around in the box. They're all pointing at it's each other. It's a free other. kick, isn't it? Someone's the box. beckoning in over to the bench. And it looks like they're setting up some sort of complicated routine. You run to the back post. He <laughs> comes back, knock it across the goal. And what do they do? One player runs in. They sort of knock it a couple between them and gets a free shot in goal and it goes the right acting. in the top corner it's, it's fantastic the, it's the yeah. acting which makes it <laughs> tremendous um, pointing indeed in your opinion who is the Football League's most underrated player this season Chris says Sam Winnell doesn't get enough credit that's true Scunthorpe United true. top scorer he's got a lot more than Rennie Howe did this season uh, 23 goals uh, remarkable after he failed to settle at any club and, uh, well, well I think it's his first full season mm. uh, somewhere as well and it's proven I believe it was at Wolves correct me if I'm wrong where he started out and had several loan moves and never really works out but found himself Lower down the pyramids uh, than when he started off, but an excellent season proves that he can do it at that level, so he'll push uh, on next year. Dave Stringer, not many midfielders in League Two have got a better all-round game than Abu Ogogo at Dagenham and Redbridge. He deserves more recognition. You should mention him on the podcast. We've just done it. And he, In your opinion, he was the best young player in the Football League this season? Daniel Slowinski says Moses Odebarjo for uh, Leighton Orient. Played all 46 games and has chipped in with goals and assists yeah. throughout. Anyone that stands out for you? In terms of a young player this season, you mentioned Daniel Bentley there. He's got to be up there. I think Adam is it Adam Pope, the uh, York goalkeeper. Certainly Pope, who's kept a ridiculous amount of clean sheets. And then obviously you've got your contingent at Derby, haven't you? But uh, Will Hughes is not even in the team, I believe, at the minute. Yeah, it's easy to go for Will Hughes, but you know, he seems to be having a little bit of a dip. Did he win moment. young player at the uh, PF, uh, the Football League Awards? You were there, weren't you? Yeah, he did. Yeah, but he wasn't there. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what I was Why not? He would have been on the bench if he'd been playing. Yeah. A couple that spring to mind for me are uh, Liam Moore uh, at Leicester. He's had another excellent season and part of the team of the year. Um, and then down in League One, you know, well, the whole Wolves team has been outstanding, really. But I've heard a lot about uh, Danny Bart, who looks like he's finally sort of made his mark in the Wolves team after showing some promise for a few years, been on loan a few places. But this season, a linchpin of what has been a, a almost impenetrable defence for the second half of the season. Um, I also uh, asked about Football League Player of the Year. Some shouts for uh, Danny Ings, McCormack, Danny Drinkwater. Manager of the Year, though. This is uh, mm, uh, this has got a lot of uh, people talking. Uh, Chris, given the plight of Wolves over the last two seasons, uh, Kenny Jackett's worked miracles. Uh, points record for the third tier, fresh face in the squad, overpaid players out of the squad. Uh, relationship between club and fans rebuilt and you got some more there well I'd completely second that as well actually I think Kenny Jackett's done a fantastic job he's made what could have been a difficult job look look overwhelmingly easy and, and you know should get a lot of credit for that um, other ones we've got Ian Park slightly biased but the club effect at Sheffield United has been amazing Sean Dyche Burnley and Russell Slade at Orient worth a shout too but yeah Clough you know done very very well there after Wait. probably you know the bitter disappointment he would have had after leaving Derby to go in you know, fell on his feet really getting a job at Sheffield United and then he's done very well going from 23rd three months ago I believe that's how far they've Chris sure. Wilder says Eddie Chapman at Oxford pushing at the top before saving Northampton Sean Dyche says Andrew Harding begrudging mention to Steve Evans 
Um, total Orient says Russell Slade that's a surprise um, mm. finishing third with a team that's been assembled only using free transfers and loans and Robert Anderson to get Rochdale promoted twice and one of the Football League's smallest budgets makes Keith Hill look like a miracle worker there you go you can uh, get in touch with yours on Twitter this week at Wagyu Podcast we should say uh, well done to um, <clears throat> to Leicester and Wolves for smashing those 100 point barriers at the weekend and also to John Gregory Peter Taylor and Andy Orford who've got the Crawley Gillingham and Pompey jobs long term uh, we'll be back next week with our take on what's, uh, what goes on in the playoffs this week I believe the podcast is going to be out on Wednesday uh, next week to get in touch on Twitter it is at Wagyu Podcast SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash Wagyu Podcast all the interviews from the season are on there the website is wearegoingup.co.uk and thanks to our friends at Audible you can still get your ears around a free audiobook of your choice at audible.co.uk slash going up right that is it you can go and sleep off your hangover mate finally <laughs> it's still going on two days and uh, are we just looking forward to the playoffs one final thing Absolutely looking forward to the playoffs, yeah. Bring goals, it on. Goals, goals, And we're not involved, so there's no heartache this year. You know, obviously last year, Dave and myself did struggle. So, Absolutely. yeah, from a neutral point of view, it'll be excellent, I'm sure. We're looking forward to it, so we'll have our take on the playoffs. When we speak to you next week, we'll speak to you in seven or eight days' time. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. <laughs> Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 